Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. A much-anticipated uh, listener question uh, slash end of the uh, bi-week rotation here. So, got a bunch of questions. Going to try to get to as many tonight. If we don't, uh, I think Bud will be doing a Twitch live stream somewhere here in the future that uh, we'll be able to direct you to. But we'll jump right into this. Before we do, three simple ingredients one fantastic title sponsor of the Nolcast, and that is Louisiana Hot Sauce. Uh, tip of the hat, as always, to them. Uh, fantastic product, something I authentically love and uh, I'm fortunate to be able to work with, as always. So with that, Bud, let's, uh, let's jump into some of these questions. Let's do it here. Uh, so, like I said, most of these come from our, from our Patreon. We also have a couple coming in our uh, Clemson preview episode, which will be interesting. And uh, we're going to start out here. For my Kristen Brandon, I guess they share a Patreon account. Hypothetically speaking, since we know it won't happen, what would FSU have to do to be ranked at any point this season? That's an interesting question. Right now, Florida State is not ranked. I don't believe they're receiving any votes in the poll, right? I don't I don't typically look at the polls a whole lot. It's kind of an interesting philosophy of mine. I don't think they matter that much. A lot of the people voting in the polls, I don't think actually know the game that well. They know how to ask questions and write articles, but they may not actually know what they're looking at. And I'm not really sure they're watching other games. Right? A lot of these are people who sit in a press box and watch one game on a Saturday and then look at some final scores, maybe watch college game day final or whatever, and then they put in their ballots, at least with the AP poll. And with the, co- with the co- coaches poll, it's even worse. Let's say Florida State loses at Clemson which is not far-fetched. They, they would drop to 3-3 three and three on the season. And then there's a chance that they could, they could run the table here, right, and end up at 8-3 and three the week before the Clemson game, right? I don't think that's that impossible to... The week before finish. Florida? It's not likely. Excuse me. Yes, week before Florida. My, my apologies. So just some quick math here. I, I would say also the an interesting point here while Bud runs math is that uh, I don't know if you'd be ranked. I, I am pretty confident you'd be at least uh, ARVing it as far as also receiving votes. Uh, I think if you beat Virginia at this point, you would probably uh, – you might have a number attached to your name. If not, you'd be somewhere between 26 and 34. Uh, maybe the same case with Boise State, but I, I don't think you'd be ranked. You, you'd probably be also receiving votes. So my thing is, you're gonna you're gonna get to, uh, you would not have lost a game since October 12th if we assume the the, the Clemson loss, right? And you're gonna be sitting there a couple of weeks while other teams are losing. I mean, you'll have beaten Alabama State and then a bye week. You could be sitting there at eight and three, and I'm just looking to see what teams were ranked with three losses last year before that final weekend. And indeed, there were there were quite a few. So I think this is your best chance. Seven and four at that point, I don't think gets you there. Although last year it did for a couple teams. So here are your three lost teams last year before the final weekend, right? And I'm not saying this is going to happen. In fact, my numbers give us about uh, an 8% chance of that happening. So, you know, go figure on that one. But Florida was 11th at eight and three. Penn State was 12th at eight and three. Texas 14th at eight and three. Kentucky, 15th at 8-3. That team was wild. Washington, 16th at 8-3. Utah, 17th at 8-3. Syracuse, 20th at 8-3. Then we had some four-loss teams here as well. And for the most part, the uh, coaches poll mirrored 
the AP poll in terms of selected teams, just their who was in, who was out, as far as the order uh, different slightly. But you're, you have some four loss teams, seven and four, some seven and four teams here, and a six and four team in this poll actually. And that, those teams were number seven, number eighteen Mississippi State, number nineteen Northwestern, number twenty one, or excuse me, twenty two Texas A and M, number twenty four Pitt, and number twenty five. Iowa State. So in looking at these, I think there may be some commonalities here as far as some of these teams who ended up being ranked with four losses or three losses, and, and that is that they they all had fairly fairly strong closes to their season. So we can have a bit of narrative building, I believe, with Florida State if it was to, to reel off five straight wins. So down the stretch last year, Iowa State, uh, in getting to six and four, they did lose at Texas by by two scores the, the week before that. But they had previous to that they had one gone one two three four five consecutive wins. Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Kansas, and Baylor are the latter three, which ended the season unranked. Uh, with Pitt, so this is a cool question though. I, I I do like this. Pitt, I believe, closed on a pretty decent run last year. As we know, they made the uh, the ACC championship game right. So last year, Pitt uh, had won five out of six games. The only loss was a close loss to Notre Dame. But down the stretch, it beat Duke, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest uh, all in a row, earning that ranking before the final weekend. So, uh, yeah, it is actually possible for Florida State to get ranked here if they were to get to uh, eight and three or seven and four um, before the Florida game, simply by virtue of of not losing. We also have a high number of teams this year, I, I think probably six of them, in that sort of like super elite tier, I guess, who are probably not going to lose certainly more than two games. Uh, and and probably many of them will only lose one game. And that means more losses are going to be distributed am- among the other ranks, right? For instance, you know, Texas A&M right now is ranked. What would you project Texas A&M to finish with record-wise? Like probably seven and five is the most likely. Yeah, I, th- I think they end the year with five losses. Yeah, I mean six and six is probably more likely than eight and four, right? And they finish at Georgia at LSU. Not the easiest finish there, right? Uh, for those guys, Ingram, I, th- I think it's possible Florida State could could be ranked at some point this season. Now, is it probable? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't believe so. Florida State is not a, not even like a top thirty-five caliber team in my estimation right now. I think they're more that like top, I don't know, top forty, top forty-five range maybe. But they're not that far off. It's not crazy to think that after losing at Clemson, you could win against Syracuse at home, against Miami at home. At that point, Boston College really might have quit on Steve Adazio. You know, like Adazio, who knows? He could be he could be fired at midseason. If you look at this, there's a good chance that that BC actually loses its next three games uh, to to basically be out not out of bowl contention, but basically eliminated from bowl contention here. And that would give them five consecutive losses if they do lose NC State at Clemson and at Syracuse. Now, most, most likely they'll win one of those three games. But still, if they do, that would be four losses in their last five uh, and five of their last seven 
entering the Florida State game. That's a game Florida State can certainly win, especially if BC's down. BC's defense this year, uh, you think Florida State's defense is bad, and and it's certainly not not been good this year. Uh, Florida State's defense so far, 78th. BC's defense, 102nd. That, that Louisville team that you saw beat Florida State, or excuse me, that Florida State beat, uh, they put up 41 on BC and uh, 8.51 yards per play with a backup quarterback playing half the reps for Louisville because Cunningham got hurt. Yeah, I think uh, I'll reiterate more or less what you said. I think there's a decent chance that Florida State ends up getting ranked at some point. Uh, If bye week told me anything is that, yeah, Florida State's not great, but, man, there's a whole lot of trash out there. It's uh, it's a lot lot of mediocre rosters, and you can tell kind of what the impact of some of the um, – let me see how I can say this. The the centralization of elite talent as it really kind of just goes to three to five schools annually. That, that and the fact that uh, Bud and I don't see a dollar. This is not an endorsement, but uh, YouTube TV or Hulu Plus are both fantastic options to a traditional cable company. So if you're still looking at that ACC network situation or anything else – uh, both of us have one of those services, and I think we both uh, speak very highly of it. And it was fantastic to utilize it during a bye week uh, weekend. So there's no doubt. And I was able to watch a lot of football over the weekend. Um, do you think Florida State would get ranked at seven and four? Because I, I can see them getting to seven and four more likely than I can see them getting to to eight and three. Right? Do you think that's possible? I think eight and three is would almost be. I don't want to say a minor miracle at this point, but look, you're going to lose to Clemson and Florida. You need to put Florida in the category of games where you have, uh, you know, slim to slim to no real expectations of a victory. So because there's no uh, reason for for you to believe you can block Florida, and we said that preseason. Remember, Florida was very squarely in that thing. You can't block them, and it's on the road. So your line uh, is bad. I do think seven and four would have you ranked uh, exiting the regular season. Yeah, I do. Okay, or you mean well? You mean entering the the final weekend of Florida? Because seven and four would be the the the, the poll before the Florida game. That's kind of when I'm when I'm calculating this. Okay, right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know. Uh, you'd be right there. You'd be between twenty three and thirty. I, I think that's I think that's pretty fair. Uh, so. Cool. That was a fun little exercise here. And uh, Chris and Brandon, we, we very much appreciate the question. Uh, you want to get to out uh, of Chris's now? All right, Chris. The picture of FSU on the field is looking much clearer now, he writes. With that in mind and with a bye week, how do you think the start has impacted recruiting? I, I think like a lot of things, perhaps uh, this was teetering <laughs> on, the, uh, on the verge of collapse and it's since found some footing uh, I'll certainly let Bud give a more thought-out, broader example, as this is his uh, expert area, uh, one of many. But you had a class of kids that watched Florida State struggle. Uh, by no means did anybody, I think many of these commitments, expect a flawless season. And uh, and you found a nice little rebound here in the past couple of games to give kids some type of hope. So I, I don't think you're seeing anybody really running from the class, at the same time, you're not having the type of season that would allow you to reel in elite, out-of-state, out-of-region talent. I think that's, that's really well put. I mean, they have they deserve like an A-plus for having no decommitments so far. Uh, I also think that the starting out with the 1-2 and two record, um, as opposed to perhaps interspersing those losses throughout the first five games, as opposed to 
to having the one and two and, and having the one honestly be the worst game you played all year so far by by a large margin. That I think that hurt because you still have narratives like the one on college game day, which I did not watch, uh, about how Florida State's been the most disappointing team of the year or whatever, um, which is clearly not the case, right? I mean, there are so many other teams. In fact, I write the most disappointing column every week for Banner Society com and you can check it out. It, I, I tweeted out on my Twitter at Bud Elliott three, uh, and I track like which teams have been the most disappointing. And the way I do that is basically like teams that have, have just totally, uh, uh, totally laid an egg in games, right? And so if you don't come within sixteen and a half or within sixteen points of, of covering the spread, so you're like not even within two scores of the spread, which is a you know a, a non biased expectation set by Vegas as opposed to fans then you get on the list. Florida State has made the list one time, and that was against uh, Louisiana Monroe. And there's like eight Power 5 teams who were already on there twice this year. Uh, and Akron and UMass are actually on there three times. But I, I, back to the recruiting element, you know, Florida State is, is hanging around there. Um, if they can show some improvement throughout the year, which I think there's a chance that they will, um, there's multiple st- stages of improvement potentially you have getting to a bowl game which is an improvement, but maybe not enough. We, we went over this in the preseason, right? We thought six and six would lead to uh, class defections. We thought seven and five or eight and four would be sort of stasis, I think. And nine and three uh, would allow you to do something. I don't, I don't mean that. Like, no pun intended. Backhandedly. There. I, I, I just yeah. ended up saying it. So right now... I mean, Florida State, their most likely records at this point, in our opinion, I think, are 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. Getting that seventh win could be crucial because right now, uh, I think if you look at the bowl projections, uh, here, I'll actually pull it up right now. Have you seen where Florida State is projected in some of these bowl projections? I, I check on the uh, weekly Tomahawk article, yeah. So, uh, for instance, Temple. In the military bowl. Now, is that going to give you like the warm fuzzies about playing Temple in the military bowl? No, I don't think so. Uh, but that projection, I think, is if Florida State goes at six and six, if it gets to seven and five, you actually open up some different bowl possibilities here. Uh, you wouldn't get the camping world in Orlando because Notre Dame is probably going to grab that unless they were to still go to the playoff, which is a possibility, but but more of a long shot. Uh, however, you could go play the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville against Mississippi State. Right? Mississippi State is a team that would be favored over you, but not by a million points. They, they have not had the best season. Um, or you might be able to go back to Shreveport <laughs> if, you, uh, if you really want and play BYU. Or you could potentially be eligible to go play Kentucky in the Belk Bowl. Hey, that'd be a nice one right there because Florida State would beat Kentucky at this point. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure about that. Or you could play uh, SMU in the Birmingham Bowl which would be a tough matchup because SMU can really score. Or you could go to New York in the pinstripe bowl and play Indiana. Or you could play Army in Detroit, which at least is an indoor game that time of year. Uh, or you could go to El Paso, right, for the Sun Bowl and play Arizona State. The thing is, you'd be favoring a lot of these matchups. So there is a legitimate chance to add a plus one to whatever your, uh, your final regular season record is here. Now, that won't help a ton with the early signing class recruiting thing, for the long term, getting that win may have some impact on recruiting. It certainly has an outsized impact, I believe, on 
fan feelings about the program. Wouldn't you agree? Like, like it seems that a lot of our emails over the offseason are directly impacted by how you do in the bowl game, even if the bowl game is the least meaningful game of your season overall. But overall, yeah, I, I do kind of feel like the season has definitely not helped recruiting, but they have done a better job of managing defections than they have last year. Now, we'll see what happens this weekend, right? I mean, this is the largest spread Florida State has had in almost a decade. They're 27.5-point dogs. I think it's been bet down a little bit to 26. I do not have a play on the game uh, at this point, but uh, stay tuned because I will. I'm just waiting for uh, for the first half to come out. So uh, perhaps a, a small hint there as to which way I'm leaning. But yeah, excellent question from Chris. They're doing better than I thought they would do if you told me they had started one and two. And a lot of that is, like you said, they, they managed to, uh, to pull out of the tailspin a little bit and actually play two solid games, right, in, in which they deserve to win by, by more than just one score in both and, and did so. I also think that it's hard to overstate the importance of having a uh, a real bona fide quarterback committed to you who doesn't appear to have an ounce of waiver in him. And uh, not saying that just because Jeff Stim- Sims is going to stay with you that everybody's going to stay with you, but it certainly lets you build uh, more of a cohesive unit and gives you a hell of a lot better chance to have a retention rate that uh, maybe you wouldn't with some of the some of the. Uh, challenges and uh you know some of the turmoil that's surrounded the program recently i completely agree and not only that but sims is like doubling down on it right and that's that's big because other kids know he's a good football player and and has a lot of upside so that's always good to, to play with him that's that's a big deal We'll pause ever so briefly to thank our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group. Want to send uh, the frequent reminder that we do. Uh, the 17th of each month is Reuben Day. So being that we're about 10 days out, thought I'd go ahead and put that on your calendar. And also want to remind you that uh, they have fantastic options when it comes to Centrale Township Madison Social, but uh, particularly keep them in mind if there's any catering opportunities that arise. Uh, these guys will cater a, a lunch outing up to uh, an event with uh, 500 people plus. So uh, couldn't partner with better people. Uh, Matt's fantastic. His team is uh, right there at a high level. And uh, reach Matt directly to discuss any kind of catering or event options. That's Matt at ForTheTableHospitality.com. Thank you, as always, to our friends at Madison Social and For the Table Restaurant Group. Brian has some questions here, and they concern the running back position. Brian asks, what share of reps do we expect to see for Claude LeBorn through the remainder of the season? Cam has been the workhorse, but the two running backs have similar uh, yards slash uh, attempt per average, albeit with fewer attempts for LeBorn. Any chance he gets the ball more to alleviate the pressure on Cam? It's a good question. Um, now, if you look at the rush distribution this year, it, it is, I don't think any of us would have predicted that it would be 115 for Akers and 17 for LeBorn, right? Like, no, we, we, we would not have done so. And Brian's right to note their yards per carry are close, 5-1 for Cam and 4-9 uh, for LeBorn. But but digging in to uh, to the numbers a little bit deeper. And I have access to some of this stuff um, through Espionation stats that I don't know if the average fan has, so I can just – I'll share this with you. Uh, but success rate-wise, Acres has been a lot better, uh, 44.4% to 353 So 
a lot more success when Akers touches the ball than than when LeBron does. Uh, from a marginal efficiency standpoint, Akers is about twice as good. Uh, and it, from an explosiveness standpoint, uh, Akers has actually been a lot better as well. That said, I, I do have concerns about Akers wearing down if he continues to get this many carries in, in the year. I mean, he's on pace for, what, like 280 carries? That's that's untenable, I, I think. And, and he plays a, a ton of snaps. He's done a pretty good job in pass protection at times this year as well. They are going to need to get LeBorn in there more and, uh, and and get him some more reps just for preservation purposes. Even if you do, you do take a little bit of, of a step back there when, uh, when when putting him in the game. I think uh, it's been good to see LeBorn come back uh, from all clips that we've seen and everything we can judge him by. It doesn't appear as though he's had any kind of uh, serious impact to his physical skills based off the injury. He still has a lot of explosiveness, can still make some really aggressive cuts. Uh, there's some moments where... You, you really like what you see at LeBorn. We've mentioned he's a little bit limited in pass coverage uh, and, and blitz pickup. And while it has not been historically the pattern, uh, it does seem as though uh, Bryles is, has the inclination and interest in maybe getting him involved in the passing game a little bit to uh, allevi- alleviate some of that pressure as well. That's a great point. I, I love seeing him split out there against NC State and then turn around and caught the ball. That's That's a cool thing you can do formationally, matchup-wise, and in space, I think he's a player who could maybe do some damage for you, um, and, and finding another way to get the ball is is good. Uh, second part of the question says, what are the chances that he declares early for the NFL? He seemed to be pretty frustrated with the previous coaching staff redshirting him, uh, and his injury set him back for a whole another year. Uh, can we expect him to try and cash in on his uh, talent level alone, or do you think he returns next season to be the starting running back and push up the stats? So my initial read of this question was incorrect, and I thought you meant Cam Akers, and I was like, why did we include this one? We, we, we would typically spike this question uh, just for, you know, for, for want of interest in this, right? Like, it's, it's just too obvious. Uh, but, yeah, with, with the question being about LeBorn, it makes a whole lot more sense. So minus one for Bud's reading skills here. But what do you think? You, you think he's gone for pro? I, I think there are two really – there are arguments both pro and con to this. Yeah, and and I'm real torn on this. I I think if you play running back, you need to leave as soon as possible. Uh, particularly if you've sustained an injury, just look at look at where the league is right now, and look at how few running backs get that second contract that really provides you some level of financial assistance. Uh, at the same time, there would be something to be said for his draft stock to potentially get a little bit more money uh, if he were to come back and feature in an offense that. Uh, has a chance to continue to improve, be really explosive, and put some game tape out there that would allow him to be drafted or at least the conversation for him to be drafted in a round that uh, otherwise won't happen for him based off this year alone. I think it's a fair answer. If he wants to roll the dice, then sure, come back. But the thing is, with a kid who's as athletic as as he is, he may end up doing really well at Pro Day and, and getting drafted anyway. You have to weigh the risk because clearly, like they might run you a lot, uh, but he would be the dude next year, al- along with the two backs that you, you currently have committed in the class, or, or if they add a third. But that's a really interesting question, and one that I'm. Do you think that the number of carries impacts his decision? For instance, he has 17 right now. Okay, he's on pace for like 
let's call it 50. Do you think that if he only gets 50 carries this year and, I don't know, 12 catches, that's like 60-something touches, do you, do you feel like that is enough to have him go? Or do you just think it's, hey, like I already, already you know, blew out my leg once. I, I need to go while I'm actually healthy. It's hard to say exactly. I, I could see that being interpreted either way from him. If you're inclined to make that decision, I don't really think your production's all that important. And maybe, you know, maybe some small factor would be that he – uh, knows that he probably wouldn't be able to demand this percentage of the carries based off the kids that are coming in this year's class and a third team back that's pretty talented. But, uh, you know, maybe he'd have somebody whisper in his ear that he's not really cut out to carry the load that being the guy uh, entails based off what they've asked of Cam uh, this year. So, you know, you could kind of manipulate this to however you want it. Otherwise, uh, just the honest assessment is that LeBourne's probably going to make a decision at the end of the year and it'll be a little bit hard to predict uh, as to what he's going to do. Absolutely. So Art has a question here. Uh, given what the ACC is becoming, uh, distant fifth in SP Plus rankings, even with Clemson included this year, which is true, actually. Yeah, they're they're closer um, to the AAC than they are the, the fourth place conference, the Pac-12, in terms of average ratings. Is it workable for FSU to continue recruiting how it is currently and eventually be a solid number two in the ACC, even without the game-breaking talent we're used to from the past 10 years? A strong overall roster should be able to win nine games in the ACC consistently, I would think, though our out-of-conference in, in the coming five years may make nine harder than usual. So this is an interesting question to me. I, I think that the, the, the word workable here is key because clearly like winning nine games is not the goal and being, being the number two team in the ACC is not the long-term goal, even if, the, if it's a great short-term goal, right, with, with how Clemson's recruiting and – financially and academically where you're at my answer is is yes i would also note that the acc has had a lot of coaching turnover this past year and and in fact in the past two years uh, and it'll have a little more coming i think there's a good chance bc or b tech or or perhaps both make a change whereas some other leagues are are now topping out with some of their coach uh, cycle stuff and i think you'll see some more changes uh, perhaps in the Pac-12. The Big 12, I, I think, is fairly stable for right now, and, and there, there's probably going to be some coaching changes coming in the Big 10, all of, all of which will impact those conferences' ratings as well. The ACC clearly needs... Uh, like right now, Vatek is the second-worst team in the league by the power ratings, and they, they just beat Miami, but they should not have... You know, Miami outplayed them on almost any metric you want to look at, except for their, they had turnovers in their first four tries. <laughs> it was incredible. What a great game. You also have Georgia Tech, which is a major outlier. Um, right now, Georgia Tech's SP Plus rating is negative seven. The number two worst team in the ACC is negative one. All right. So this is a like a just orders of magnitude worse than anybody else in, in the ACC. And it's really dragging down the ACC's overall rating if you look at it, and that's the simple reason is because Georgia Tech graduated a lot on defense. Their best defensive player actually died in, in an accident in the offseason. Um, so that further hurt their, delt in, or their depth in a tragic situation. And on offense, they're changing from a, a true under center triple option cut blocking system uh, to more of a typical college football type offense. I say that to note that the ACC's ratings are are really depressed like that 
Kansas is better than Georgia Tech this year so far. Kansas. I mean, that's that's tough to do. Uh, Rutgers is actually not better. So that's you know that, that's comforting. There's nobody in the Pac-12 who's even close to as bad as Georgia Tech is, right? So what? And, and then Vanderbilt um, is close to as bad as, as Tech has been so far this year. But I guess my point in this is, like, yes, the ACC ratings are not very good this year on an average because you do have Georgia Tech in there. You also have, you know, Florida State is playing somewhat close to expectation, I would say, as far as their 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 power rating, but. Syracuse is, is certainly not so far this year. Vatek is is not. Uh, Miami uh, very much up and down. I mean, a couple close game losses where they, where they probably should have got got the win and, and did not. Uh, but even Virginia has a good record, but they don't look that great. So there are some teams that are somewhat disappointing within the league this year. But as far as their their league rating, Georgia Tech is really the anchor that that sinks this thing. I mean, negative seven is that's terrible. Yeah, we talked about them in the offseason, said they it might be wise to set an expectation for three wins, and they uh, they may well finish below that goal. Um, this is a little bit of a geography question, in my opinion. And look, when you look at the population trends and where people move in this country, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, and the upstate of South Carolina uh, are right there as, as uh, you know, three of the top 15 places where uh, general trends of people moving, settling, and where jobs are being created. I, I, the ACC has its woes, but the ACC has too much going for it, uh, in my opinion, to find itself, uh, you know, consistent fourth or, or fifth when it comes to evaluating uh, the Power Five. So I think Art makes a good point and certainly brings up things that are accurate. But uh, I agree with your assessment that this has more uh, more indicative of a one-off than a, a general trend. In the long term, I'd be much more much more worried about the Pac-12 than I would the ACC. Thanks also to our friends at Resolution Home Loans. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or visit FSUHomeLoans.com, you'll get hooked up with Shannon Young. Shannon is the best loan guy in the business. I should know. He did my loan. It's a great experience when you go with Resolution. Great rates, awesome customer service. Shannon will be with you throughout the entire process. And if you are military, police, fire, EMT, etc., you can take advantage of their Hamilton for Heroes program with no fees. Again, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. We'll move to uh, Jesse's question, uh, if unless there's anything else you wanted to touch. But uh, Jesse, similarly asked about the conference. Is being in the ACC holding us back? Looking at the payouts of other conferences, FSU is further and further behind the eight ball. The ACC network looks like a total flop. <laughs> Even though they had two years to prepare and aren't signed with major cable companies, announcers are terrible, and the cameraman can't follow the football. In agreement with you. Uh, Don't forget, we're the last to the dance with a TV deal. Can we sue the ACC and get out of the deal due to the conference being managed, uh, management being negligent? Pretty sure we have the worst referees in all of college football, maybe except the Pac-12. And the refs create uncertainty, which can and have challenged the outcomes of games, changed the outcomes of games way too many times. Is this an option? Is it possible? Is it something to consider? Okay, so let's unpack several of these elements and and very much thank Jesse and Art for the questions about, about the conference. I don't think the AC refs are actually that bad relative to other leagues. The SEC probably has the best refs, either that or or maybe the Big Ten. Um, and, and I just think that's because those two leagues 
they they let the players play for the most part. I, I typically don't see these flag fests. And in the, in the SEC, I think there's far less protectionism of the teams with, with, with lesser athletes, you know, because everybody's got at least some level of athleticism. I do think there's some protectionism in the ACC when you have a team, you know, a big fast team like Florida State play a Wake or, or a Duke or, you know, maybe a UNC or something like that. Or, or maybe a Q's to where it's like, okay, or BC. You, you see my point here? Like the those types of teams, I I think, get some calls in this league. However, like the ACC's deal, TV-wise, is much better than the Pac-12's. In fact, it has carriage on most of the major carriers. I totally agree with the complaint that it was last to the table, and the timing of it was the absolute worst. Um as far as that element. However, the Pac-12 has managed it far worse. I don't know if you saw the Pac-12 trying to sell some of its rights for several billion and uh, and nobody even giving them uh, like a hint of interest the other day. That was, I think that was a Sports Business Journal article there. Yeah. How, how Larry Scott's still employed is a, is a bit of a mystery to me, but uh, you're right. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of a yikes there. But the Pac-12 refs are also worse than Florida State. I, because of the gambling stuff and because I, I cover nationally as well now, I, I have to watch a lot of football. And Pac-12 refs are just a, a, a different level of, of bad. Could Florida State sue the ACC? Uh, surely. Could they win? No, in my opinion. They'd have to have some serious, like, serious reasons here, and, and I just don't see them. They're also like you could probably argue that Florida State is responsible for some of this because they they kind of mismanaged parts of their program in the last four or five years. No, Florida State certainly hasn't uh, led at the front of the pack the most uh, past couple of years. So I think Florida State and the ACC are more or less tied together. Although, like what happened a couple of weeks ago, where Florida State was named a top twenty public university, that is like as great of an insurance as Florida State could ever write itself. Uh, if I don't know, it's great. That's hyperbolic, but it's a it's a great. It makes you all the more marketable. If there ever was a, a conference realignment of of, of drastic situations, and maybe uh, you would be considered at other conferences where you wouldn't previously. And one kind of other, it's kind of connected, not really. Uh, point to this is that I've said this for a couple of years. I do think the ACC is going to revisit the current makeup of the conference and. Uh, that like the coastal and the Atlantic are not in concrete by any means, uh, which could make for a slightly more uh, better situation in this conference with uh, with how that might shake out. So uh, just a couple of other thoughts about Jesse's question and the ACC in general. I think that's totally fair. Um, all right, let's take uh, let's take Andy's question here. And this is fine. We can kind of bounce back and forth. Maybe I'll give one. You'll give one. What do you think about that? Yeah, fantastic. All right, so Andy asks, uh, if you were king of the program for the day, what changes would you make? So uh, here's the thing. There's a lot of changes I would like to make. A lot of them involve spending a lot of money, which right now they don't have. So what if we lay down some ground rules for this? And if Andy doesn't like this, he can tell us in, you know, in, in the Patreon that he wants something different. What do you think if we sit down the ground rule that we're assuming that this is not some additional enormous outlay of money that would change the program fin- program's finances. You like that idea? Yep. Okay. 
So uh, my number one, I think, would be uh, to not make any rash decisions. We know right now that Florida State is not really in a, a position to compete for the conference, uh, given their budget constraints and their academic situation with the APR, which unfortunately is a four-year rolling metrics. You're going to have those last three Jimbo semesters for another year and a half, like full, and then they'll taper off within your APR. And hopefully the budget can get fixed within, I don't know, 18 months, two years, right? So my thing would be don't go make some rash coaching decision as far as hiring, firing, when you're not really in position to go out and get somebody who you want and not in position to give them what they might need to succeed. You know, for instance, I, I think UF is hiring a bunch of recruiting assistants right now, you know, more full-timers to, to help their coaches. Right now, Florida State doesn't have that, and I don't think they're, they're going to get that uh, within the next year or so. I, mean, I know for a fact Florida State would love to have that, but they just they, they don't have that. And the people they do have there, they don't pay very much because other schools are able to offer more and they're able to hire uh, more of those people. So right now I would say don't make any rash decisions that is basically kicking the can down the road as far as getting the budget and academics fixed. Under Coach Tagger right now, the team is making progress. They're not getting arrested, knock on wood. They're actually going to class. It looks like the grades are, are better. So that would be my number one is, is don't do something, right? And just kind of put in some some stop gaps there to say, hey, we're not going to do anything crazy um, for a team losing six games. Okay. I like it. I'm going to tell you to grab your garnet paint and – we're going to the Champions Club, and we're going to paint monochromatic color scheme up there. Uh, that is my first first decree. If I'm uh, the Florida State King and the Florida State King that has to operate with under some kind of, uh, of reasonable budgetary expectations, if you go to the official Florida State website and you go and you look at the seating chart at Dope Campbell Stadium, it presents this. Uh, in kind of what I've talked about since the day that they first showed us that horrible two-tone uh, display that only screams at the lack of uh, people that are seating uh, that are in those seats and just the general aesthetics to it. Uh, what you see on uh, Seminoles.com and follow the ticket is just a garnet singular color look, and it's a hell of a lot sharper, and it's something that Florida State should do, and it's easy. It would improve the product uh, on television. It would make it a lot more crisper, cleaner, and uh, it's not all that expensive to put something like that into place. I, I think that's very fair. Uh, I'm going to go with Wi-Fi. Florida, I believe, has Wi-Fi in their stadium now, according to somebody I was talking to. This is a major issue, especially for young folks and families, right? Like now there's an expectation out there, if you have kids, that your kid's able to watch a show or play some kind of game on his device during a, situ during a setting in which you know, the parents are trying to do something. And for the older listeners out there, you got to think, that's crazy, right? Like, why can't you just come to the game and enjoy the game? I agree. But uh, sometimes part of enjoying the game is giving you know, little Johnny something to uh, to do in order to have him be able to sit still for a couple hours and not complain that, that he wants to leave. So having Wi-Fi there is a big deal. It also helps with connectivity as far as students being able to chat with each other, figure out what they're going to do after the game so they don't leave the game at halftime. Not having Wi-Fi, I think, is a major issue at Florida State right now. In fact, I think that a lot of these stadiums at the college level are taking are, are 
are wrongfully taking this position that they don't have to have Wi-Fi. And, and I'm of the opinion that really the only thing, only, only thing out there as far as attractions that no longer have to have Wi-Fi are like Mother Nature, right? Nobody expects national parks to have Wi-Fi. But a stadium nowadays, I, I think you expect it. Hockey arenas have Wi-Fi. A lot of the NFL stadiums have Wi-Fi. Why shouldn't so the college stadiums have Wi-Fi? I think that that's a uh, that's a negative about attending games right now uh, that causes some people to stay home. And I, I think that if they got Wi-Fi, it would help the in-stadium experience quite a bit. Plus, if Florida State plays poorly, you can just pull up another game on your uh, YouTube TV and, uh, and and watch that. Oh, my my final wish if I was the coach or if I was a king, and this is uh maybe easier said than done, but I would certainly go to the conference and uh, as to whatever extent TV and uh, try to schedule Florida State either at night games or away uh, for the first three or four games of the year. It's just, it's hot everywhere. It's hot everywhere in the deep south. Deal with it. But a 2.30 game in August in Tallahassee is uh, quite the quite the thing to ask a whole lot of people to sit there and uh, take and not expect to see massive uh, massive people leaving at halftime or just choosing not to show up in general. I think that's very fair. Um, my, and and I, I think you should do it even if it means that you're not getting as good of a TV outlet, right? Like I'd rather play a 7.30 game on ACC Network than the 3.30 game on, on ESPN2, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, yep. I'm sure a lot of other programs would too, but but Florida State and Miami are the two southernmost programs you have in terms of heat and humidity. So maybe it gives deference. Who knows? My final one would be uh, pushing for pods. This is a Bill Connolly thing that I really love. It, it's getting rid of divisions and instead making uh, making you have three or four permanent opponents and rotating all the other ones. It's ridiculous that – like several recruiting classes are going to go go and never play Georgia Tech, right? Georgia Tech and Florida State should play every single year. That is their closest geographic rival within the league. It's one of the only games that Florida State fans can drive to reasonably, and, and not you know not just like take their entire weekend to do so. And yet they only play every six years, which is ridiculous. So I, I would set up pods in which Florida State's pod probably has Miami. Georgia Tech and uh, maybe NC State or, or, or Wake or something like that. You wouldn't want to give Miami, Georgia Tech, and Clemson because that would just be an imbalanced schedule pod. So you wouldn't play Clemson every year. And that's not really my point. I'm not trying to duck Clemson because uh, if you're any good, you, you'd play them. They were any good, you, you'd play them in the ACC title game anyway. Uh, but yeah, I would go to pods. I think it's important that you get your geographic rivals a little more aligned. There's so many of these. Like I, I'm up there in a the press box and I look out and like nobody from NC State comes. They they bring like three thousand fans. Nobody. The the va- there's only two teams in the conference that really bring any kind of traveling support at all, uh, and that's a kind of been the case uh, of always. But particularly in the past five years, I've talked to people in the ticket office, and the visitor the the numbers that are moved for visitors has fallen off pretty pretty drastically. It's crazy, man. It really is like. There's just nothing there. You want to talk about the difference between the difference between the, the ACC and the SEC? A lot of it is that. Right? Like how many Auburn fans w- w- went to Florida this weekend? You know, okay, maybe that's not a great example. Auburn was was in the top ten. 
how many Kentucky fans go to a Florida game in Gainesville? A surprising number, right? Like Tennessee fans, even though that's, that's really not that much of a robbery. It, it, it doesn't have that long of a history of being a robbery. And for the most part, Florida just kills them. Tennessee fans still show out in mass down there. They travel to go see their games. That, that's one of the reasons why I think the SEC is such a great conference in terms of experience. I think it's overrated a little bit in terms of conference strength, but in terms of experience, the the drivability, the road trip ability, if you want to use that word, which is not really a word, but that, that phrase is is unmatched in, in college football. And for Florida State not to have the Georgia Tech game on an annual basis, I think it's a real disservice to the fan experience. Preaching to the choir I mean, for on you, that obviously. Uh, absolutely. So <laughs> extremely convenient. Well, I, I've, I've, I've thought. I mean, I've preached this for forever. I would say that Florida State no longer has this moniker, but the the ACC was ridiculous not to have its biggest uh, football brand in the biggest football market in the country. It was a horrible mismanagement, and uh, Clemson is is certainly that at this point in time. But it's still ludicrous that uh, that. Florida State and Georgia Techs see each other as, as rarely as they do, and uh, it would be only a good thing for the conference, and it's uh, been, like I said, mismanaged. Absolutely. Thank you also to Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Firm. Did you know that 401Ks, IRAs, pensions, FRS plans, and other retirement accounts are subject to division and a divorce, regardless of the length of marriage? Travis Johnson knows. Travis is a board-certified family law attorney. There's only 280 out of over 110,000 of those in the state. Over a decade of experience in family law, each case is unique, and Travis Johnson has the experience to handle your specific situation with the care it deserves. You need to pick the right family law attorney the first time. Go with Travis Johnson, 850-435-9919. That's Travis Johnson, 850-435-9919. All right, uh, let's go to Austin. Uh, He says, I will piggyback on Andy's question. You were the GM of Florida State, and college football trades were allowed. What are some interesting deals you'd be attempting? Uh, like pre-injury Josh Kando for Isaiah Wilson, who's the tackle on Georgia's team, or uh, LeBourne for perhaps Curtis Weaver, the defensive end at Boise State. These are all pretty, pretty, good, pretty good ideas here, somewhat, but I don't know that everybody would take these. In fact, I, I don't think they would give up Curtis Weaver for, for uh, LeBourne. My suggestion would be to try to trade one of your receivers for a below average or average offensive tackle, right? Like, can you get a good Florida State receiver? So anybody aside from Terry and trade him for somebody who would be an average or below average tackle for Florida State in the ACC, right? Because this is my thing. Florida State's tackles are so bad at football that even giving me a below average or average player, which they don't have there right now, especially not at the left tackle position, would be such an upgrade that I think it's worth the hit. Like I would I would trade a good receiver for a below average tackle simply because my roster inequities in terms of, of positional strength and weakness dictate that, that that is a smart move. I think that's a plus EV move uh, if you're Florida State. And that's something I think you could actually get other teams to do. Yeah, that or go get me an SEC linebacker, whatever I have to sacrifice to do it. Just go get me somebody that's going to take snaps for a bona fide program that I can plug into this unit. And that would be the two areas that would immediately come to mind for me if if there was any kind of, uh, you know, adjustments of the roster that could be made on the fly. Now, you could say, of course, um, that 
hey, what about quarterback? Because it's not like Florida State has, has great quarterback play right now. And that's fair. Uh, but I don't know how many college teams have quarterbacks they're just willing to part with as far as, far as backups. So, yeah, you're probably going to start talking about names that you don't want to give away if we're talking about an equitable. Correct. Like, you don't <laughs> – you're going to start talking about Akers or, or Wilson before another team has an honest conversation about giving you a half-decent quarterback. All right. Um, so let's go to uh, Marat. Uh, FSU won two games now under the command of Hornibrook. I know that in your past broadcast you mentioned Blackman being the team's favorite quarterback. What if the fans start preferring Hornibrook over Blackman? Would the team play for Hornibrook or sabotage him? Or is on an issue? Uh, I, I don't think what the fans pr- – prefer is entering into this conversation really at all. Uh, Now, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't have any reason to believe uh, that I am. I think who the players prefer matters somewhat, right? But to me, it's more like as a tiebreaker as opposed to a deciding factor. Like if if Hornerbrook and Blackman were totally even, which I don't think they are. um, And by the way, Taggart today said that that Blackman will start uh, at at Clemson and that he practiced all last week. So, Probably the right move to sit him out there uh, against uh, against NC State because you're, you're likely to win that game. Anyhow, but look, if Blackman was the better quarterback, no, I think the team would play hard for him. They, they want to win games. I, I don't think there's any element of, of sabotage going on or any hypothetical element of it. Do, do you? I, I don't know. I, I just I don't want to make the question no, sound no, dumb. No, no, no. This, is, this reads like a – um, I, I appreciate the question, and I, I get it, but I, I think this fan base is like permanently scarred of the Chris Ricks, Adrian McPherson situation or something like that. It just That kind of stuff really doesn't come into play frequently at all. Guys want to win. Guys want to play. Guys want to have the best available tape for Sunday. Yes, can a situ- situation get so you know cancerous or so, uh, so much personal animosity that maybe – Guys don't have the same effort, but that's that's like a once in a twenty five year type of thing. So, no, I don't think that factors at all. And the fans uh, want carries uh, absolutely nothing as well. So, all right, uh, let's go to Johnny. Uh, Johnny says, "What if any changes do you expect to the death chart after the bye week?" This is always interesting because bye week is a time where you can sort of reevaluate uh, your, your roster and your, your depth chart. Maybe you can get back to basics and fundamentals a little bit and you can do some prep for, uh, for the upcoming opponents, which I think Florida state needs to do as opposed to just prepping for Clemson, right? Like all of the stuff I'd be prepping for Clemson. I wouldn't tell the kids, but it's stuff that I would also be like, Hey, let's prep the stuff that Clemson does that wake forest also does. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. you're not going to beat Clemson. I, I don't think, um, but you need to – I think it's important for you to go and give yourself the best chance you, get, you have to win that weight game because, look, going you know going four and three is, go, is different than three and four, obviously numerically, but, but mentally as well. So the, the couple things I might look for here, they need to audition people to play in the absence of Janarius Robinson, who is going to miss the first half of the Clemson game. Uh, with with the targeting suspension, which is absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, how much does Josh Brown play? He's been getting in there more. Maybe he finally shows something. That'd, that'd be cool. Derek McClendon, I think, is a player to look at who is probably going to get some more more snaps. And regardless of the suspension, they, they do need to find other defensive ends to spell him because Janarius was playing, I mean, almost every snap in some of these games. And, and I do have legitimate worry, or in my opinion, legitimate worry 
about the defensive line wearing down. And, and because of that, finding some more guys on that D-line I think is going to be important. We'll see if some of the young guys in the secondary are able to step up and, and take spots. I, I I think that's a fairly tough battle right now, but maybe the bye week helps helps Akeem or uh, helps Dent to play a little bit more. You know, and if Akeem can get up there and, and really dominate, I think that'd be solid because his upside is so high. Offensively, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of changes. They 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 pretty much know what their offensive line rotation is. Maybe you see more of Dante Lucas and less of Mike Arnold. I would like to see that happen. Receiver-wise, I think they know what's going on. With Cam McDonald, I'd, I'd kind of like to see what's going on with him. Maybe they work him in a little bit more. But really, I think most of the questions are, are going to be on the defensive side of the football. Nothing really to add. Yeah, maybe maybe you keep an eye out for tackle as to whether somebody comes back from an injury. But otherwise, I don't think there'll be a whole lot of changes uh, to the depth chart during the bye week. Ryan asks, what would Florida State's record be if Levitt was brought in uh, before the season? What if Levitt and Browse were hired as Willie's initial coordinators? Okay. So two really different questions here. Um, if Levitt and Bryles were hired as FSU's initial coordinators, are we going to assume that Clements as well? Yeah, yeah. You, I don't think you have one without the other. Because they're a package deal. All right, so last year Florida State was very, very lucky uh, to, to go 5-7. and seven. So I don't know. Like you can say, oh, they'd be, they'd be two wins better and you know, they'd, they'd go 7-5 and five or whatever. But I, I don't know if 2018 Florida State – do they make a bowl with those guys? Because you can't assume some of the luck you had in those games last year plays out in the same way, right? I mean, I'm I'm trying to think here. You you can't. You'd also you know love to think what uh, what this level of production from your offense could have could have looked like in any way, shape, or form of last year, and what maybe that wouldn't have put you in some of the game situations that uh, that luck ended up prevailing. That's fair. Yeah, that, that's, I'm trying to think about which games you might have won. Like, you might have beaten Syracuse that day. Like they dominated you in the end, but that game was unreasonably close for, for a while relative to how poorly you were playing, <laughs> you know? Um, eventually, the defense just wore down because your offense was just getting killed. Like, last year, they were 71st in, in, in SP+. I mean, they their second-order wins were 4.4. Like, they were not that close to a bowl uh, from that standpoint. But I, I think it's not crazy to think that maybe they could have actually made a bowl if they had those coaches. Now, would those two coaches have made a difference in this year? I, excuse me. And it's not just two coaches. It would be the one coach for this year. I think there's a chance, right, that that maybe you beat Boise if you have Levitt just because you played so poorly on defense in that game. You also played poorly on defense against UVA. I mean, not that you've been playing great on defense, you know, since Levitt's been here, right? Like, you didn't play well on defense against Louisville. Are you willing to say they'd, they'd be a win better? I, I definitely am not going to say two wins better. Yeah, I think you win the Boise State game. You were so poorly aligned for so much of it that uh, I think a guy who uh, knew the finer points of the defense that you were trying to install uh, probably has you in a little bit better shape for that, uh, that game. And I feel fairly confident uh in tipping that one from a l to a w other than that wouldn't wouldn't change much of how the rest of the season's played out 
I think that's probably fair. The other one I think there would really be a difference is you would not have had a uh, one-score win over ULM. Like, that's the one I'm most confident in. If you look at this, like, success rate by quarter by Florida State against Boise, the, defensively, Boise was not better in the second half than it was in, in the first half, right? Florida State actually made some adjustments in that game, as crazy as it sounds. Florida State's offense just had a complete collapse because Boise started whipping them up front and then threw some blitz stuff at them that they couldn't handle. I mean, Florida State's success rate per quarter allowed 50, 39, 38, 45. So, like, not a real huge variance there, right? In fact, they were better in the second half than they were in the first half. However, success rate for the offense against Boise, 60, 44, 22, 9. <laughs> not, uh, not the best there. But still, maybe do beat Boise. Like, it, it's it's certainly possible if you hold them to just fewer plays per drive, that, that that to me was the huge thing. 6.8 plays per drive allowed against the Broncos. Kind of the final question we'll be able to touch on, and it's pretty tied to what we were speaking about as far as the subject matter. Uh, Marco asks, is uh, Levitt acting as the DC during practices or meetings? I'm noticing some improvement. How much of this do you directly tie to his addition to the staff? Well, I, I definitely tie some of it, right? I think he's helped in game planning. I think he's had a fresh set of eyes on the defense. And I think part of the defense, like they were expecting him to come in and be an analyst from the early part of the year. And it just didn't happen, right? So I do think that some of this defense they're running is defense that he knew very well and was likely to help him out on. And it didn't happen. So Certainly some reason for some fans to be angry, I, I think, about that. But he's definitely helping some. Is he the actual D.C.? Uh, no. That, From what I understand, him and Barnett have gotten along pretty well, which is good. Barnett's still the D.C., but, but Levitt is helping a lot, a, a whole lot. I think Bar- we're fortunate in the fact that Barnett, I don't think, is a great uh, – a great coach, uh, but has his strengths, has his weaknesses, but he does have a personality that I'm not sure many coaches do. And he's handled a situation like this at a level that uh, very few would. And so for that extent, um, impressed by the guy. Um, I also think that it's hard to exactly attribute things to Levitt, but I do think he's raised the overall expectations of, uh, of the unit. And from that, I mean, like he expects people to have a level of, uh, of, I must sound like an 80 year old guy, but it expects people to have a, a general level of like hustle at practice. Uh, he, he has demands, uh, on kids that I think it was good to have another layer, uh, come in and maybe, maybe it was just a, as to when he was introduced. Maybe it's that he wasn't, uh, you know, necessarily like tried to be buddy buddy at the point uh, of original introduction to try to win these kids over. But they're they're from people that I've talked to at practice. Having another voice added uh, has only been a good thing when it comes to just like the base level expectations of how a group goes through practice. I think you're exactly right on that. The real improvement we've noticed too is not necessarily their success rate defense improvement. It's they just stopped allowing the huge plays for the most part um, simply by being in the right spots, right? Like they're not playing that well on a down-to-down basis. They're just not having those what should be five-yard runs turn into 60-yard runs. And that's a legitimate improvement. I mean, they're they're in top 25 in, in both explosiveness and marginal explosiveness allowed uh, on, on defense 
which is very good. Now, their success rate, marginal efficiency, uh, outside the top 105 in both. So, not good. Is some of this defensive improvement fool's gold? Yes, it is. It's because you played offenses that really couldn't pass and were very one-dimensional in the last two games. However, Florida State, it's not like Boise's offense and UVA's offense are all that good either, uh, and yet you managed to to give up a lot of points and yards uh, to those two teams respectively. So this weekend will be a, a, a different, <laughs> a little bit different test uh, for the Knowles. Currently, just I'll read this off before we go. Boise's offensive rank uh, right now is 57th. Um, looking up Virginia here. Uh, Virginia on offense ranks 85th. So not real good. Remember, NC State, 81st. And Louisville, actually 35th. So pretty impressive there by Louisville. Manages to score some points against some teams. I think part of that is that they did do a decent job against Notre Dame in the opener. Oh, I almost forgot ULM. Uh, they are 62nd in offense. So my, my point is, there has been defensive improvement in the last two games. Maybe not as much as some fans think, and maybe not in the way that some of our emailers uh, tend to think, but there has been some improvement. If Florida State can also show some improvement in terms of getting off the field and not allowing teams to have so much success just running the ball right at them on, on, on first down, second down, uh, then this defense could really salvage itself and end up as like a top 50 defense, which after a start that had them well outside the top 100 for a week or two, uh, would be legitimate improvement. I think I do think Jim Levitt would deserve credit for that. Fair enough. Uh, hopefully this has been enjoyable. Uh, I have a bunch of questions that we haven't gotten to. We're going to try to point you to our Twitch channel uh, for that. We'll have a Twitter update as to when uh, we can finish out these. But uh, certainly want to thank all of our Patreons. You could uh, join the list of Patreon supporters, if you so wish, patreon.com backslash Nolcast. Uh, but this has been fun. We'll, we'll make a point to do this kind of periodically when the schedule can allow and uh, good little back and forth. So very much enjoyed it.